The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 138 for January 21st, 2008. <laughs> Greetings, folks. It's good to be home. I'm Dave Hamilton here for the Geek Gab, the Mac Geek Gab, of course, with John Braun. Hi, John. You're home, too. Oh, yes. Oh, I, I concur. It's nice to be back. And, and the trip back was uneventful. Nothing got canceled and the uh, plane did uh, what it should, except for a little turbulence. So, uh, yeah, that's what it's supposed to do. Yeah. And the house is still in one piece. That's always nice to come home to. <laughs> yeah. We took it. Yeah. So we'll probably talk a little bit about Macworld during the, uh, the kind of the show the 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 ride out if you will the fade out if you will uh but uh for now we've got a bunch of stuff in fact i didn't even get through all of the uh email and and voicemail and everything i did get through enough to pull together a show here this morning it is monday morning but uh of course i don't see any daylight here in the studio we're it's a holiday too uh yeah it is a holiday it's martin luther king jr day right yeah yep all right so we've got all kinds of stuff uh Thoughts about transferring files, some battery life tips and discussion. Uh, thing t- we'll talk more about hard links since it seems like that 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 cre- might have created a little bit of confusion. We'll move on from there, but uh, I guess we'll start with with Karen here, right, John? Yes. Car- Karen writes, "I have a Power Mac G5 currently on ten point four, but I will be moving to Leopard very shortly. I connected to an FTP of another company in order to upload a file. I think I was connected." The other company's icon came onto my desktop and I was able to open the window and file into which I was to deposit my file. I'm assuming she means folder. However, when I attempted to execute the drag and drop, I received an error message which stated that the name of file I was depositing into could not be modified. I went into system preferences, sharing, and checked to make sure that I had opened the channel term for FTP connections, etc. Okay, I'm assuming Karen means that she went and made sure the firewall port was open for FTP. That actually hmm. does not need to happen. You do not have to have FTP access on to connect to other FTP servers. But, John, I think you know why this didn't work. And the reason it didn't work, so I'm going to assume that the uh, method that Karen was using, and I'm almost positive this was it, is the uh, OS X connect to server capability. Um, basically, when you're in the Finder, if you go to the, uh, the Go menu, connect to server, or uh, Clover K, or whatever you want to call that guy there, um, you get a little window asking you the server address, and there are a number of things you can type in, but for FTP, you type in FTP colon slash slash and the address of the server. And then what will happen is after a little while, um, you will get a window just like any other network volume showing you the uh, the, the files that are there or a Dropbox or something like that. Now, so that's the good news, and it's it's pretty straightforward. Here's the bad news, and what you may not have noticed, so the thing to check for next time um, See, if you look in the lower left-hand corner of the Finder window, what you're probably going to see is a pencil with a line through it, which means no writing. And the problem here is that the FTP client that you're using, using this method, only does read-only. Now, how can you find this out? Well, you know, I did a little search here. Of course, OS X has a help facility. And if you go in the help facility and you type in FTP, you're going to see a topic, connecting to shared computers and servers using network address. And if you look through that, what you're going to see eventually at the bottom here, and it's easy to miss, is it basically says, oh, by the way, if you're doing FTP, you can only read stuff. Get an FTP program if you want to write stuff. And then it just kind of drops you. So I think someone did a uh, (laughs) 
quick job of that help file. So you're doing nothing wrong. It's just a limitation, and I don't know why it's a limitation, um, but it's a limitation of the, the Finder's uh, FTP client. Yeah. So really what you got to do is get yourself another one. Um, and I have a favorite um, called CyberDuck. You know, it has an icon of a cute little rubber ducky. And uh, that's what I typically use. How, how about you, Dave? Yeah, I, 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 uh, I actually prefer Transmit uh, only because it, it's automator savvy and, uh, and I use it for a couple of things. It also syncs with .Mac. So uh, just like in Safari where you can drop bookmarks of your favorite websites in Transmit and most other FTP clients, you can drop bookmarks of your favorite FTP sites, places that you need to go regularly. And I have a couple of them that I need to use on a fairly regular basis. And because I use FTP on multiple Macintoshes, I'm able to sync the, the transmit favorites via dot Mac with all of them. So uh, every, everything is right where I want it to be. I did want to offer one clarification. She may have not realized that she was using the, the finder. Or may, she, I'm sure she realized she was using the finder. She may not have realized how she chose to use the finder. And if you click on an FTP link in mail or in Safari, by default, it is going to direct direct you through the finder to do that. Once you install Transmit, you can actually change that, I believe. But uh, up until then, or, you know, CyberDuck, I'm sure most of the others will, will go and attach to the OS and offer to be the default FTP client. But otherwise, the Finder is the default. And if you click a link, it will bring you there. Mm -hmm. Now, one last thought. Yep. Um, is it typically when if, if you just connect to an FTP server and you provide the address and no name, most FTP servers will have a user called anonymous or a lot of clients will default to that if you don't give it a username or password. Right. And uh, I've never seen, though I suppose you could, but anonymous accounts are typically read-only anyway. So, um, so if you do use an FTP client and you run into the, the same problem, it may be that you're accessing the anonymous uh, account and you can't write. So you want to make sure that the, the person who set up the server gives you a username and password that will allow writing. Good point. Good point. Yep, absolutely. All right, Peter writes in with a related question. A friend of mine has Windows XP system and I have a Mac with Leopard. He needs to send me some PDF files that are around 200 to 300 megabytes in size, so email won't work. Looking for a way to transfer reasonably large files directly from one computer to another over the net. I have a .Mac account if that would help with plenty of space available. Is there any way that we can transfer these files in real time or can he transfer files to my .Mac account? Ideally, I would love an application or a way that I can share files in real time, i.e. I can upload to him directly and he can upload to me directly. Got any ideas? All right. Uh, so th there's th there's a couple of things to talk about here. First, let's answer his .Mac question, John. And I, I think you've got, again, you've got the, uh, the yep. magic answer for this. Amazing. Um, two in a row. <laughs> so um, the, the answer is yes. You can use your .Mac. Um, and people can transfer things to it. So what you want to do is in your system preferences, go to .Mac and then iDisk. And what you will see is your iDisk public folder. Now, normally this, this is usually set to read only, but there is a choice read and write. Now, there's also another box here. Now, if you do read and write, unless you want to, you know, harbor all sorts of questionable software because it's really trivial for someone to find your .Mac folder. It's just your .Mac username, unless you use a wacky name. You don't want people storing stuff there. So there's a box also there that says password protect your public folder. Right. Um, you click on set password. It actually uh, enforces the use of a password of a, a certain length. 
Um, so that's one part of it. And, you know, right now I see 10 gigabytes. So that that'll certainly meet your needs is the, uh, the storage that you, uh, get with the basic package. Of course you can buy more. Um, now the other thing, if the person that's accessing you is on windows, um, Apple has done a nice thing and wrote something called iDisk utility for windows XP. Um, not sure if that's going to work on newer versions or older versions, but I would think most people are on XP or can get access to it. And it's a nice little client that makes your iDisk volume a drive on a Windows machine. And then if you have those permissions um, allowed, read and write, and somebody tries to copy a file, well, actually, before it mounts it, if you protect it, then before it even shows up, it's going to say, hey, by the way, what's the password? Then it will mount as a uh, drive, just like any other drive, and you can copy your files over there. So that's the... uh, So the answer is yes, and and it actually works out great in this situation because there's a specific Windows client. Um, So that's one part of the answer, but then Dave actually read the question and pointed out there there was a little nuance um, or or other ways to do this. So So Peter had asked if there was a way to transfer directly from one computer to another. And, and certainly it makes sense that this, this should be possible, right? We've got two computers on the internet. They should just be able to talk to each other without one uploading somewhere and the other downloading. And, and it is, um, there's a couple of different ways to go about this. The, the first is to refer to our previous question and talk about FTP. Now FTP stands for file transfer protocol. Seems like this might be an obvious choice. And it hmm. can be uh, OS 10 has a built in FTP server. So you can go ahead and turn that on in sharing. Um, and I, I forget what it's called. I'm looking it up. Oh, it's actually called FTP access. So it is fairly obvious. You go ahead and turn that on and then you can set which users are, are able to log in and how that works just fine. If you're not behind a router. If you are behind a router, then you need to go and poke some holes in your routers, um, not necessarily firewall, but but usually port mapping or firewall or both to get it so that when an FTP connection comes in, it goes straight to your computer. Otherwise, the router doesn't know what to do with it and ignores it. So that that's option one. But you've got to kind of you've got to manually deal with the router. Option number two uh, would be, well, for cross platform Skype, Um, Skype really transcends firewalls as far as. Uh, anything goes Skype just doesn't believe in firewalls. That's kind of my, the way I, I think about it. It always just seems to be able to work. It gets stuff through the firewall. No problem. Uh, and it's fantastic. The problem with Skype is that most of the time and the new versions uh, that have been coming out are r- reported to have fixed this in some capacity, but Skype is very slow when transferring files. Oftentimes mm-hmm. you'll get less bandwidth transferring files over Skype than you will doing say audio or video chats and why this is, I don't know, but it probably has something to do with the way Skype just, you know, kind of deals with these firewalls. Another option is iChat. Now windows users don't have iChat, but iChat simply uses the, the straightforward aim protocols. And there are plenty of aim clients for windows, including aim or uh, trillion or uh, various others. And most, if not all of them support the file transfer protocol. And that does do a direct point to point file transfer it's less likely to work through firewalls than Skype is, but still, uh, if you're just behind home routers, it should work just fine. Uh, my experience has been that it's only corporate firewalls that, that tend to block the, 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 or, or disrupt the aim. Yes. Uh, file transfer. Oh, I, it, it, it starts by saying, you know, ready to accept the file. And then mm. you say yes. And nothing happens. Right. So, uh, and then a last option would be, uh, uh well, oh, I, I, you could use back just to back to, to my Mac. Go ahead. 
I just want to clarify here. Uh, were you looking at a Tiger machine when you were talking about how to set this up? I was, actually. And do you have on a Leopard machine what FTP well, access is I just want to called? mention a little nuance because I was looking on my Leopard machine. I, I have them both in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so Leopard, in sharing, lists file sharing as an option. It doesn't have an explicit FTP option. Okay. Here's the fun part. Then there's an options button. If you click on options button... And it was funny because it also gives you a hint as to how do people connect. So, you know, I clicked on file sharing. It says other users can access you at AFP, which is Apple, Apple Talk File Protocol, I think, right. which is, you know, kind of Apple specific. And I'm like, well, where the heck's FTP? If you click on options, there are checkboxes for the various file sharing protocols. And by default, on my setup here, it says share files and folders using AFP. And then it has two other boxes that are not checked, but I'm going to check them later. One says FTP and the other says SMB, which is the, the Windows protocol. So just got it. For, so that's actually probably not a bad. Well, I don't know. Unless you're looking for FTP specifically, they, they kind of hid that there. So just thought I'd mention it for our uh, more adventurous uh, Leopard users so they can find it. Thanks. Yeah, no, that's good. So you could use if you had one Mac, if you had two Macs, rather, you could use back to my Mac. And in theory, it's supposed to work that way. Of course, we've all heard the reports, you know, back to my Mac for me. Uh, when when I when I went through the 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 uh, the episode that is episode number one thirty six, um, I, I you know it, it was flaky for me. Finally, I just bypassed it and poked a hole in my router and used Apple Remote Desktop to do it with the with the VPN. Um, but you can also use a service that uh, that we actually employ a lot here. In fact, when when Michael, uh, when I you know when we finish the show, I need to send a a copy of it to Michael. Uh, that he can then convert to AAC, Michael, of course, of, of iPhone Alley. And we do that using a service called you send it Y O U S E N D I T.com. And it's great. You can, for free, you can send files up to a hundred megabytes to uh, a group of people. And it, uh, it, it works really, really well. Uh, I don't know. Who's is that the red phone? Me. It is the red phone. Well, that's the problem <laughs> with doing this during the day. I forgot to turn off the phone. Uh, but anyway, you send it via you send it. And mm-hmm. it, uh, it, you know, it sends the file up to you send it server. It lives up there for up to a week and automatically emails the recipient uh, a special URL that they can use to pull it down. And it works really, really well. So so that's yet another option um, for for doing all of this. I use you send yeah. it a lot. So I like you send it because so they offer for. Lots of platforms, I think, in addition to Mac and Windows, um, but they offer a dedicated client. You can, of course, anybody can use the web interface, and it is using HTTP over normal ports like 480. Right. It also offers security, which is nice, uh, port 443, but almost every firewall supports that, unless it's you know a state-driven, in which case it may get cranky, but uh, I doubt that's, that's going to be an issue for most people. Right. Um, and actually, they were at Macworld, and they announced they also have a, a Photoshop plugin. So I guess if you do a lot of image work, you can just directly from Photoshop uh, blaster image using uh, you send it. So services like that are great because they uh, they use standard ports, which are probably not going to cause grief for people versus some of the other things we mentioned. Yeah, I like that. That's good. All right. Uh, okay, we have a couple of audio comments. Wait, we I did have one little note there. You mentioned using standard ports. Did you say 480 or port 80? I said port 80 and okay. port 440 for uh, HTTP and HTTPS. Got it. As far as I know, that's the only ports that those guys use. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, all right, we'll move on to an audio comment from, or an audio question, rather, from from Guy. I guess, no, this is an audio comment. Sorry. 
Hi, Dave and John. This is Guy calling from Holland. Um, just to leave you a reaction regarding your latest um, Mac Geekab and specifically towards manual migration. You were talking about uh, manually copying your mail from your library, uh, but there's one thing which you forgot to mention, and that is the fact that just copying your mail isn't enough. Um, what you also need to copy is a file from the preferences called com.apple.mail.plist, which actually um, contains all your account information. So copying those two files will actually uh, get you a complete mailbox, which you only have to fill in your password. Should you not copy the preferences file, you'll just get an empty um, mailbox and you will have to subsequently fill in all your in information like account, login, um, incoming mail servers and things like that. Um, probably not the only one who's going to leave you this, but uh, I thought it was an important enough uh, message to um, keep you updated. Thanks for a great show and uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. Bye-bye. Thanks, Guy. Well, you are a part of the next one. Thank you very much for that clarification. You're absolutely right. That uh, that is the uh, the trick, if you will, and and definitely you've got to you got to make sure you do that. So yeah, and it's a good general strategy. Like, like we mentioned before, I think I would you know I, I mentioned the folder, the preferences folder. The thing is, you got to kind of intelligently go through each of those preference files and and see if they link to something where you want to retain things like uh, you know the information contained in the Apple Mail. Um, preference file all right uh we will move on to don who has a, a relevant question here hey john and dave uh, this is don calling from ohio uh first of all i love the show and uh, i was actually just listening to your show on the way home uh we were talking about time machine and hard and soft links and that stuff uh which is great it sounds uh sounds reasonable and makes sense to me Qu question you brought up in my mind is uh, my understanding is is that after a certain amount of time when you're running out of space on your time machine account it's going to start to delete earlier entries into the, uh, the, the archive. Uh, my question is how you display the hard links back to an original file. Let's say that today I back up my entire system uh, and I have a file that I don't change and eventually over time now my daily backups and weekly backups were all hard links back to that original file that hasn't changed. Well eventually when I overcome the size of my, my memory that I'm backing it up to, my disk, uh, earlier entries are going to be deleted. Won't that then delete the original file that hasn't changed, uh, having all these hard links that are that are sort of propagated along, uh, now being not linking back to anything? How does Time Machine deal with that? Anyway, thanks. Uh, appreciate your show, and I look forward to hearing it every time you put it out. Take care. Bye. All right. Uh, so let's let's talk about this again. A hard link is a link directly to where the file lives on the drive. Okay, so the actual the, the hard link is a link to the actual contents, the data of the file. A soft link is easy to think about like an alias. That's what an alias is uh, or a shortcut. It points to the directory entry for the file. Okay, and that, that's important to remember. Another important thing to remember is every file on your drive is a hard link if it's not a soft link. Okay, so unless it's an alias, everything on your drive is a hard link. All of your documents, all of your music files, all of that stuff are all just hard links, which mean they're directory entries that point to where the file is. 
With Time Machine, you're absolutely right. The first time it backs up a file, it creates a hard link to that file from that day's backup. And then the next backup points a hard link to where that same file is if it hasn't changed. And, and again and again and again. So you might wind up with, let's just say for the sake of argument, you wind up with 30 hard links all to the same piece of data and they all are the same file, right? And they are exactly the same file. They're all pointing to the same place. Well, the way the system decides if something can be overwritten is if there are no hard links pointing to that space, i.e. if nothing is reserving that space. So if you've got 30 hard links pointing to something and you delete 29 of them, it doesn't matter which 29 you delete. You can delete the first 29. You can, delete, you know, you can leave one in the middle or one at the end. It doesn't matter because there's still at least one hard link pointing to that particular spot on the disk, which reserves that space. And that's kind of the magic of time machine. It's not, it's not really magic, right? These links, this, this has existed forever, but they're, the way they're employing it makes it very, very efficient. Cause all they have to do is say, is it the same file? Yeah. All right. We'll just drop another hard link and go. They don't even need to check it right to see if the hard links pointing to the right place. Cause they know it is because the other one is, it just reads that data and moves it forward. So hopefully that, that clarifies things. Uh, did, did I did I miss something there, John? Huh? <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate that. I don't think so. Okay. Another clarification I wanted to make, uh, and and I've 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 wrestled a little bit with how to do this. You know, I listened back to our uh, show one thirty six where I where I ranted and raved about my my trials and tribulations of transferring a TV show from home to uh, to me at, at MacWorld. And at one point, and I listen back, you know, I like to listen back to see how the flow of the show goes and make sure the sound is good because it was the first time we were doing things that way and various things. And at one point, I heard myself say, I need to break for an ad. I hate to do this, but we have to, right? And, and when I said it, I knew what I meant. And when I listened back, I kind of heard it differently. And I, I really wanted to clarify because it's, it's an important point to me. When I said I hate to do this, I didn't mean I hate to do the ad. What I meant was, I hate to interrupt this story, but being that the podcast is one, I try to put the ads at normal breakpoints in the, uh, in the show. And in that show, that was impossible because it was, it was all basically one story. And I knew it was going to be one story uh, because John was exhausted and you know, we, uh, you know, that was that. So uh, we were going to tell this one story. I hate to break up stories. And that's kind of what I meant to say. I really don't hate, ads doing our ads at all. I really like it. I like every one of our sponsors. Uh, I'm very proud to, uh, to have them all on board. I use a lot of their products and, uh, and I actually like delivering the ads. So I, I just wanted to make that clarification. It's very, it was important to me to get that out. So that's, uh, and it was fun for me to meet a lot of them for the, the first time at, uh, yeah. at Macworld. Yeah, they're good people, man. We're, we're, we're very, very fortunate here in, in so many ways. That's some ethics here as far as, you know, who we, uh, who we run ads for. Come on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, with that, let's move on to uh, what I know is going to be a fun little discussion from Koji. Koji writes, I have a question related to battery life. My family and I are flying out to Colorado at the end of the month and to make the four and a half hour flight go by a little faster for the kids. I wanted to either buy some Dora or Blues Clues DVDs or download them from iTunes. My question is, which uses less battery power, playing a DVD or playing the same thing that I downloaded from iTunes? I have a PowerBook G4 15-inch, and I presently get about three hours of battery life. I thought about buying a second battery, but man, they're not cheap. All right. 
Uh, so, so that's the, uh, that's the, the main question here, John, I, I know you did quite a bit of research on this, so I'm going to let you take this and then we'll come oh, yeah. back and forth. All right. So we're going to start off here. So the one way you could find this, and I started going down this path, but it didn't have much success. So one way you could do this, which is the, the I would say the theoretical approach would be to get the specifications for each of the devices, um, the hard drive and the DVD drive. And um, look at the power draw on them. Now, sometimes, you know, this figure may not be easy to get or, um, you, you know, they may, may list nominal, maximum, minimum. So it be, may be hard from the spec to determine. But uh, so the one way you could do it is by getting the specs, look at the power draw. If, if it gives it in a useful form, then the one that draws the less power is the device you want to go with. Um, power, of course, and we'll get into a mini double, well, very mini lesson here, but power is voltage times current and that'll become important in a moment here so the one way to do it the theoretical way is get the specs and compare them i would prefer more an empirical approach here which is to actually look at what your mac is doing with the battery um and there's one figure within the well there are a couple of figures um so the one thing is that apple advertises their battery using a figure called watt hours i don't particularly that's not particularly useful for this discussion um the figure that you want to get for the battery and you should be able to get it maybe with a little digging is something called amp hours now remember i talked you know power is voltage times current uh the important figure here is current um and each battery has built into it it's kind of clever um has a maximum theoretical capacity um, well, the, the way you want to find this, so let me back up a bit here. The way you want to find this, there's a couple of ways to find it. One which is built in is um, to use the system profiler, which, you know, about about this Mac, more info. And then you go to the power section, and if you dig down a bit, you're going to see a section called battery information. And it's going to say things like battery installed. In my case, yes, um, I'm looking at my power book. Then it's going to list full charge capacity in milliamp hours, okay, um, remaining capacity, and then amperage. And these are the figures that are important. Now, the problem with the system profiler is that you've got to keep reloading to look at this information. I strongly, strongly suggest, and I see no reason not to, to get a little utility called X-Battery um, from uh, Jeremy Keyser, I believe. And uh, this thing shows you so much information about your battery, and I think it's an incredibly useful tool because by using this, uh, it not only shows you this information, it updates it on a regular basis, but it shows you historical graphs, which can be very useful to understand how what you do impacts the uh, drawing on the, ba uh, the, the load on the battery and how long it lasts. So you're going to see a few figures here. Um, and the one that's important that they show is battery amperage. Um, and this figure is either going to be positive or negative. When the battery is being charged, it's positive. When the battery is being discharged, which means you know, you're running on battery, it's going to be negative. Um, the greater that number, the more current is being drawn. Now, as you can probably now the figure that was given before, which is amp hours, um, you probably take a guess that, so for example, I have here, you know, 3.4 amp hours, that means that in an hour, I can provide 3.4 amps of juice or current. Um, so depending on how much current you're drawing, so, you know, if you're drawing one amp per hour, then you're going to go for 3.4 hours. And you can do the math. And this is actually how the, uh, you know, the OS does these little estimates for you, um, where if you click on the battery icon, if you have it in your menu bar, it's going to show how long it's going to take uh, to discharge based on these figures. So what you what you want to do, um, and it shouldn't take very long, is to look at this amperage figure 
and take the and do both things. Play the movie off of the hard drive and then play it off the DVD. If you're going to play off the DVD, then I would suggest in the Energy Saver you find the box that says, uh, uh, I think it's uh, Power Down Hard Drives, if uh, possible, so you're not running both the hard drive and the DVD, in which case, of course, you're definitely going to draw more juice. Look at the two figures, and whichever one is smaller, um, that would be your option. My instinct tells me a hard drive would draw less power than a DVD, but I'm just going on instinct because when I tried to research my DVD drive in my machine, it did not give that figure. It gave a lot of other things, but it didn't give the current uh, the power draw. So, um, so it could be wrong on that one. But all right, whoo, man, so. that's awesome. I, I, you, you've taught me a lot here. I mean, it all, it, like you said, it all makes sense when you stare at it, but you got to know what to stare at. So that's uh, that's extremely helpful. Thank you, man. Yeah, now the other thing, okay. well, simple thing, um, if you can find, if you get an airline that offers a power adapter, right? you know, go for that. Hopefully you can get one long enough. Um, and yes, the, you know, I always get an extra battery, but yes, they, they are, you know, relatively expensive. So, um, so actually we'd be interested to hear back from you, which in your case, which of these devices draws less power and anybody else who has any feelings about that again i'm going on instinct i'm going to do a bit more research uh, again I, I sense that hard drives draw relatively less power than dvds all right well i have one practical thing and then another you know theoretical thing to throw into the mix here one my gut says that it, like just like john that the hard drive is going to be a better option now my reason for thinking that is a little different my reason for thinking it is ever since i upgraded to os 10 I've never seen the hard drive in my laptop power down when the computer's running. There's just too much access to the drive. There's, it's either looking at temp files or it's looking at, you know, swap files or whatever it needs to do. There's too much going on in the background for the hard drive to ever have an opportunity to power down. Uh, so I, I don't think the drive's ever going to power down. And because of that, well, the drive's going to be spinning anyway, we might as well read the movie off of it instead of spinning up yet another device. So, so that, that's my gut. With the one caveat that playing a movie off the hard drive means that iTunes is doing more decoding, right? It's an MP4 file uh, that iTunes would have, I believe, an MPEG-4 file, uh, versus an MPEG-2 file on the DVD, which is relatively easy to decode uh, processor-wise. I, I, I definitely know that... When I'm playing a DVD, my, my CPU is at like, you know, almost nil, whereas playing a, a, a movie in iTunes, it's using a little bit more juice. Now, you can also go into Energy Saver. I believe it's Energy Saver. Um, yep, I know where you're going. And turn off one of the processors. Um, and it may not be Energy Saver. No, it, it, it's something else. And I got, I got to look that up. I don't have my MacBook uh, Pro in front of me. But there is a way, was- on, the, there is a way on the Intel machines to uh, disable to, to to go down to one of the cores i mean it's all in one processor but it, it's in system preferences there is a way to do this uh so going down to one core will help either either way i think either either method is doable on on one of the cores and it, and it in theory should save you some juice so i'm still going to say the hard drive though i think the processor is going to be doing more and therefore drawing a little more current uh when doing an itunes movie versus a dvd so that's now- a couple of other things while yeah. you were talking, I, I thought about a couple of others is make sure you turn off everything that you don't need. Mm-hmm. Turn off your Bluetooth, turn off your airport, um, especially in a plane, because you definitely don't need it. Um, and let's hope that they never. Uh, well, no. Wi-Fi in a plane would be good. Cell phones, bad. That's just my opinion. Yeah, but if they put Wi-Fi in a plane, you've got Skype. Yes. 
So mm-hmm. there may Flying's not be a hole in enough. Yeah. Um, but but you could in energy savers. So you were in a spot that I was looking at here, at least on the Motorola machine. Uh, you have a processor performance setting, and there's highest automatic and reduced. Um, depending on what you got in your machine, reduced may give you enough juice to do the decoding. But as Dave points out, it, it may take more processor. So it starts getting jerky. You, you, I guess automatic is a good middle of the road, and you want to keep it off of highest. Right. Um, and there are other options in energy saver. You know, if you can select them to save save juice uh you know dim the screen a little bit because the screen draws some juice um just wanted to toss in those those extra suggestions i'm pretty sure the intel machines don't have that processor setting or at least it's not in the same way i think i'm getting one soon i think i've settled you're going to do the the 15 inch macbook pro you got it cool now i've heard rumor has it that they're going to have a refresh in february so i think i'm going to wait a little longer but yeah i compared it uh, the MacBook, uh, I'm just concerned about the the uh, robustness, if you will. Um, and I just like the metal look, and, and it has more uh, you know, more options. Yeah. So even though it's a little larger than I like, I, I think that's what I'm going to go with. So, but I'm going to wait until uh, February to see if they uh, uh, put something new and interesting in there. Cool. Well, that, uh, that sounds exciting. I know we're, we're, all, uh, we're all rooting for you, John. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how are we doing on time here? Yeah, we're doing good. Okay. Uh, you know, it is nice to be back in the studio and in our, our environment. The one thing I miss, of course, is that, uh, we're not in the same room with each other anymore. So that, that, you know, that kind of, I do miss that. But anyway, uh, Steve has a question here. Yeah. Hi, I was having trouble getting through on the phone line. So I figured I'd just send you an audio recording. Hi, my name is Steve. I'm from Portland, Oregon. Uh, I'm a switcher as of about six months ago. Uh, recently, I was having some problems with Safari and Mail.app, and uh, I I figured if I u- opened a new user account, I was going to see if those problems disappeared. They did disappear, so I wanted to move my files, uh, my music from iTunes, all of that kind of stuff over to my new user account. And I was having a bunch of problems with uh, permissions. And so I'm wondering, is there any way um, to migrate my files over to a new user account without um, having to... Uh, go and switch permissions on everything uh, manually. Uh, you can email me. All right. Um, the, uh, I'll give you a short answer. No, you, you, you have to uh, change the permissions. Now, there's, there's easy ways to do that. But, uh, but no, if you're, if you're creating a new user account on the same machine, here's what happens, right? Under the hood, Unix has, uh, you have your, your username, but really your username maps to a number. The first user that's created the user account for you to use that's created on an OS 10 machine is account number 501. Uh, files belong to that user 501 that maps to your short username. If you create a new account, it's going to be 502 or if another one, 503, 504, etc. So if you're moving to a new account on the same machine, the same install of OS 10, you're going to, you're going to need to reassign permissions. Now you can do that fairly easily. I mean, you can go to the terminal and use the ch uh, own command, but, uh, but we won't bore you with that. You can just do it in the finder, highlight everything, uh, go to, or highlight the, the main account. And well, maybe you maybe you only want to highlight the files or the folders that you need to change. You don't really want to go mucking with everything, but highlight, you know, the music folder that you need to change, go to the finder, choose uh, file get info and at the bottom of that window you've got ownership and permissions you'll if you twist down the details tab you'll see 
that it lists the owner. Now it may be, uh, may, may be grayed out with a little lock next to it. Uh, go ahead and click the lock so that you can authenticate and then change the owner. And then there should be a little button that says apply to enclosed items that, uh, that will then propagate the change, not only to the folder that you are on, but everything inside it. So that, that should do it. However, I think you might be going, so that's the way to do this, but I think you might be going about things the wrong way. If you find that mail and Safari work in the test user account, but don't work in the main user account, it might be simpler to fix the problems in mail and Safari as opposed to trying to migrate all this other stuff over. Um, and it, it may be as simple as a preference issue. It may be as simple as a, cl a cache cleaning issue using something like Onyx, um, O-N-Y-X for, uh, for OS 10. You can, we'll put a link in the show notes for it. There, there may be a, a simple solution here that uh, that doesn't involve migrating files left and right and messing around with permissions. So that that's my thoughts on it, John. I'm with you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that that's good then. So John and I are uh, united together here, at least in uh, in thought. All <laughs> right. Uh, so from Bruce, Bruce writes, my wife is an avid crossword puzzler. Uh, I print out her, I print out her Boston Globe puzzle every morning. I just upgraded to Leopard, and now I cannot print the puzzle. Big problem. I get a blank page. I use Safari, but I also tried it in Firefox and Opera. Same deal. Please help. Also have the same issue on a MacBook with 10.5.1, but I can still print from my daughter's eMac using 10.4.11. Thanks in advance for any clues how to resolve this. I'm not sure what's causing this problem, John. I know that... Some web pages have different uh, style sheets for printing versus not printing, you know, versus screen display. And that might be it. But it's it seems awfully strange to me um, that it wouldn't be it wouldn't affect Firefox uh, on the previous versions of the OS and then affect it here. I mean, and we know Safari changed from 10.4 to 10.5, but Firefox certainly didn't. So assuming that Firefox worked in the old, uh, you know, in 10.4 and didn't work in 10.5 makes me think there's a printer driver issue or or something but uh my thought is do a screenshot uh you can do command shift three which takes a picture of the whole screen and drops it on your desktop or you can do command shift four and you're left with a little crosshair there you know and uh and if you draw with that crosshair wh whatever you draw first whenever you release the mouse whatever square you drew that is then being saved so you can go ahead and, and just draw the square around the crossword puzzle and save it and uh and then print that and that that should open up in preview and print just fine. So that that's my thought. You got any ideas, John? Um, one thought it, it may fix the problem, but it, you can also print to a PDF and then maybe try to deal with the PDF versus printing from the browser. Just a suggestion. Yeah, that might work. I, I bet that would work if if printing to the PDF got it. Now, I'm looking at he, he sent a link for the, the Boston uh, Globe crossword puzzle. And it is a flash-based puzzle, so it's yeah. possible that there's something going on in, uh, you know, in 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 Flash with with a ten dot five that's that permitting that's not permitting this uh, this printing. Although there is a print option, uh, and you can choose print blank puzzle, and uh, it pops up. So that you know, printing that to a PDF would certainly be the first step to see if flash is screwing things up or if it's the printer driver. Um, mm. and that, that might actually be a, a very good, uh, a very good test. I, I, but beyond that, I don't know. Do you know, John? 
I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, if any, any thoughts on that folks, you uh, please send them in. We'll share them back with Bruce, either here via the show or, or via email, because we've got Bruce's email address in our, in our file. And that's why we like it. When you send in things to uh, Mac geek gab on Skype or feedback at MacGeekGab.com via email or two Oh six, 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 six geek, which is John. Oh, I forgot. Four, three, three, five. <laughs> it's been so long. It's been so long. <laughs> uh, when you send that stuff in, do make sure, obviously, if you're sending us an email, we have your email address, uh, but do add it. We don't mind cutting you off at all at the end of an audio comment. When you start to say your email address, it's totally fine. Nobody, nobody complains about that. We all understand why you're doing it. We like to know how to get in touch with you. Sometimes we get clarification or sometimes we get an answer that doesn't really make sense to share on the show, but we really, you know, we do this to help you and, and, and help everyone. And, and throughout the process, of course, John and I have learned a ton in the three years that we've been doing this. We came into this with a little bit of knowledge. Of course, uh, we've added a massive amount to our, our own personal knowledge bases. Um, and, and, you know, but we, we do like to share these answers back and forth when we can. So having your, your email address phone is uh, more difficult because we never know when it's appropriate to contact you. Uh, so email really, really does help. So, uh, that's, uh, that's why we ask for it. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, we, we, we always keep it in confidence. It's not, not something we'll share on the air. And if we do accidentally uh, save it to a recording, that is the one thing I will go back and edit out. Uh, because obviously that's, that's private information. And we don't, I, I wouldn't want my, uh, well, my emails out there, so it doesn't matter, but I can appreciate, I can appreciate you wanting, you wanting your, your own safe from the thousands and thousands, the tens of thousands of listeners that, uh, that we have here. So, and the band's here, John. It's nice to have the band again. Are you still here, John? I'm here. All right. So, uh, you know, we finished Macworld Expo, kind of thinking through the the whole uh, thing. For me, you know, starting the week, uh, the actual show, I thought the keynote was decent, uh, solid. You know, we talked about it. We do need to get more RAM in our live server. I, I actually got a lot of comments from a lot of you that that you didn't have any troubles with it, which is great. Uh, we always strive to provide great live coverage of the keynote, and uh, and next year it'll be even better. We'll have we'll have even more uh, more capability. We kind of moved to a new server and a new hosting setup with that. So uh, this was a bit of an experiment. It worked out fairly well, uh, but now we know of a way to make it rock solid and uh, bulletproof, if you will. So we'll and, do that. Uh, Brian has to yell at the vendor of his uh, EVDO card because uh, he had at least one. Uh Colonel Panic, yeah. Equivalent blue screen of death, and uh, right. yeah, it's uh, usually a crummy hardware driver. <laughs> uh, the podcaster panel on Thursday was awesome. The the meetup after it was great. I actually had plans to get out of there right away because I had the party upstairs that I was supposed to go to, and uh, mm-hmm. and you folks kept me around for about two hours, kept John around for about two hours. It was fantastic getting to meet uh, so many of you. So uh, I I really liked that. Um, my my session that I did on on Wednesday afternoon, uh, it was I had the best feeling coming out of that I ever have. I felt really solid about it. But would love to hear your comments if you were there. Please be honest. We're always trying to make this stuff better and better. So uh, please let me know. Um, you know the one thing I didn't like, John, was that we didn't get enough time to hang out. Just hanging out, you know. There's so much to do there at MacWorld Expo now. So that's the that's the only drawback. But that's okay. I'm with you. Yeah. Cirque du Mac was the best ever, I think. We had a great time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah, there's even a... Yeah, I, I, I caught that uh, that video. Yeah, there was a video at Tua about it, right? Is that what you're talking about? Yep. Yeah, yeah. 
So it makes me, I, I, I watched that and it made me feel a little more confident uh, that I might even listen to the audio recordings we made of the band that night. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't sound bad. I thought it actually sounded really good. You never know yeah, from the, the stage. The, the singing voice of some of the people in the crowd, though. Ah. Uh, may not have been entirely uh, uh, on key, but hey. That's okay. They were having fun. That's the whole point. Yep. Yeah. That's why you, uh, that's why you do things like that where they get to sing along. And uh, I want to thank Kathy for coming with bells on. We had an email joke going back and forth, and uh, and she brought her bells, and of course she she brought her husband's bells too. And we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, Cashfly Cashfly Hosting is the place you've downloaded this show from. The podcast marketplace this month includes the A5 and A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, one free download from Audible.com if you use the magic link, and PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac. Hopefully you all are having a uh, fantastic week or weekend or evening or morning or drive to work or drive home from work or whatever it is that you're doing while you're listening to our show here. Thanks so much for staying subscribed. John, you got anything uh, relevant to add here while we uh, while we let the band fade us out? What do you think? Of course. Of course. Oh, that's oh, Uh, what are you going to tell him, John? Oh, I'm going to try not to get caught. Made up.